Hey, Tom. I'm heading to Walmart, because you know what season it is. Oh, is it pumpkin spice season? Uh, no, it's flu season, and Walmart gives flu shots. Yes, flu season is here, and we've got your back with flu shots where you already shop. Our expert pharmacy team administers each flu shot and can answer your vaccine questions. Stay safe this flu season. Stop by your local Walmart pharmacy and get your flu shot today. True crime on A&E with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A&E. So, here's a spooky story. Um, well, it's, it's, it's half a spooky story. It's, it's half a haunted house. Um, when, uh, my first year of college, so, it would have been 1982, and in the fall, I was not doing so well. Um, so, and I needed to get away. And, um, my former high school English teacher had moved on and he now, uh, was teaching around the Elmira area of Ontario, Southern Ontario, and living in, uh, a converted old schoolhouse, a schoolhouse that he'd, he'd turned into a domicile. Um, and he was going away for the Thanksgiving, the Canadian Thanksgiving holiday. And he said, well, listen, why don't you take the place for the weekend? Uh, take the train um, from Toronto. I'll pick you up at the station on Friday. Um, you can stay a couple of days, clear your head. And uh, Sunday we'll be back and we'll take you back to the train station to get a head back. Uh, to for classes on Monday or Tuesday. And I said, well, that sounds great, Ned. Um, so I did that. And uh, uh, so I would have, I would have, you know, from, from kind of like uptown Toronto, where I was at University of Toronto, taking the subway down to Central Station there. Great, great train station. I love that train station. That's the, like the same train station. I mean, I wouldn't have known it at the time. I know that now. Where, uh, where a couple of years later, that's where I would have embarked from um, to go tree planting in northern Canada. It's where my great uncle, Thomas Edward, would have disembarked from uh, when he went and fought in World War I, uh, and later dying at Vimy Ridge. Um, so we all, you know, various times would have been in that great hall which is a sight to see. I mean, if you're ever in Toronto, you're going to be, you're going to be drawn to like where the Leafs play now. I don't know what it's called. Names it used to be called Maple Leafs Gardens. And now the name changes with every new corporate fucking flavor of the month. But the, the CN Tower, there's, there's a great railway museum down there, but you should really check out Union Station. Union Station, not Central. Union Station. So I left from there and, uh, and, um, like that, that area of Elmira is Mennonite country, right? So very um, religious, all that old time religion. 
uh, you know, if when Ned picked me up, there would have been horses and buggies there, buckboards and, and stuff, uh, all in black. Uh, if you're looking for a visual, think Peter Weir's uh, witness, right? Buck, it's 4.30, time for milking. Think, uh, think. So now I'm Harrison Ford, um, looking for Kelly McGillis in Elmira. <laughs> no, I was a kid. I was like 18. So he picks me up and he, and he takes me back to where he's staying. This, as I say, converted old, like turn of the century schoolhouse. Um, and uh, when I got there, you know, he, and he, he left with his family. And, and so there I was alone on a Friday night. And the place was fucking haunted. And, um, you, you know, I, I, um, I don't think I, I wouldn't have been drinking at the time. I wouldn't have thought like to go to the LCBO and buy booze. If there was, if there was beer or something at a party, I would drink it. But I don't, I don't think there was any booze in the house. I don't recall being drunk. Um, in fact, I recall being, um, overly sober. I, uh, and, and so that the minutes just clocked endlessly in, in this place. And, um, you know, Ned, Ned liked music. And I remember there was, you know, there was a stereo, uh, with Ned's music, which, um, tended to be uh, countrified, uh, a little, a little uh, hippie-ish, a little psychedelic. So um, there was the obligatory uh, Bruce Coburn collection. There would have been like, I think a copy of Alice's Restaurant, um, you know, that um, Country Fish or what, Joe Fish, McDonald, Joe McDonald Fish, Country Joe, Country Joe and the Fish. That's it. It would have been that album. And um, there was this. I saw the man at JFK. He took your ticket yesterday. In the humdrum. In the humdrum. I write and with the random. Things don't run. And I remember kind of, you know, kind of listening to Humdrum uh, and that, you know, that, that first Gabriel album, I think it's called Car. You call Car? The other one, the one is called Scratch. First one is called Car. Uh, and kind of listening to that endlessly and just slowly going mad over the course of 48 hours. I would hear sounds in the house uh, by, you know, by late Friday evening, I started seeing things in this house. I, I can't even describe what. Uh, and as I say, the, like the night seemed endless, just absolutely endless. I couldn't wait for it to be morning and it, you know, you'd turn over and look at the clock, right? And it was like one, you know, you had another five hours of this shit. 
and um, but made it to the next day. And, uh, you know, there was nothing to do. I was in the middle of nowhere. I was in the middle of the country. There was nowhere to go. I mean, when you when you went out the front door, uh, you, you your entertainment was 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 some Mennonite driving by, uh, you know, on a horse with it with that black carriage, right? Going by, and and I remember that, like the following day around dusk, you know, after seeing about five or six of these. I was convinced that like the seventh one I saw wasn't real, that it was like this phantom carriage. And I, I began to like seriously hallucinate. I think, I think late that day, around four, I, I had figured out that there were bats um, living in, in the attic of this schoolhouse. And, and and so the mental calculus kind of went, whoa, 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 wait, it's just bats making that noise. But then the next thought was, no, it's because the place is haunted that there are, <laughs> there are fucking bats here. That's what it is. They're attracted, you know, to this dead zone. Um, and and the, the absolute dread of having to spend another night in this place. And, and it was and it was coming. I remember going outside and, and it was getting to be dusk and and just just this horrible pit in my stomach. Like I can't I can't go through this again another night of hallucinating and seeing things and uh, like just just get me just get me get me the fuck out of here. Please. I'm going to pause there uh, at that point and I'll finish the Half a Haunted House spooky story at the end. And, 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 and in the end, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll reveal to you, I'll tell you the scariest thing I ever saw, the scariest thing I ever heard. That's where, where we'll lead to in this episode called Grab Bag. This is Who Killed Teresa, and I'm John Allure. Remember a grab bag, trick-or-treat bag that you'd get? Um, we kind of we kind of dreaded it because you, you <laughs> although it was like, oh, it's a grab bag, anything could be in there, right? You never know what's in the trick-or-treat grab bag at the house, you know, uh, where it looks like you know no one's living. Uh, I mean, you really wanted a candy bar because, you know, that way, you know, you got the, you saw the goods, you knew, you knew what you were in for. But a grab bag, uh, more often than not, uh, you know, sometimes it would, the 
person would staple it, a little cheap staple. And, and you'd open the thing up, you know, with, with great expectation. Um, and inside, you know, would be like, like a sucker, craft uh, 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 caramels, right? And not even the good dark kind, right? The, 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 the really crappy, like, beige ones. Maybe a Mary Jane. That's more an American thing, but a Mary Jane. Black cat gum. That might be... That, that was okay. But it was it was usually just... Yeah. But, it'd be, hey, hey, somebody went to great effort, right, to fill 40 of those bags on Halloween night and staple them. But still, <laughs> it was not, not our favorite thing. A grab bag, uh, uh, trick-or-treating Halloween night. Um... Uh, okay, I am um, I am a weekend ripperologist. Uh, I love the Jack the Ripper stuff. I mean, I absolutely, I absolutely do. And you know, where with Quebec and murder, unsolved murders, I might kind of go, whoa, 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 Daddy, this is my wheelhouse. Stay the fuck away. Uh, I'm the expert here. With with. Uh, with Ripper, I am a I am a true crime tourist all the way, baby. Uh, you know, if I ever made it to London, I would go to Whitechapel, and I would I I would definitely go on one of those touristy uh, sightseeing things where you go to all the sites. I would definitely do that. Um, uh, I like, and again, I think I've said this before. I think it's the distance from the the Whitechapel crimes with. Ripper with originally a leather apron. Um, that that it's okay that it's a parlor game now, because there's there's so much of a time distance there. It it, it it's permissible. Whereas a, like a recent crime, I find that I find that approach it just um, a little gaudy, uh, a little distasteful. But with the Ripper, I'm all in. I'm all in completely. You know, there's a, there's dozens of Ripper theories and Ripper documentaries. Uh, didn't Patricia Cromwell write? I'm getting the name right. A book about you know everyone's got a theory about it. You know who the Ripper was, H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, and all this stuff. And and I, I love all that stuff. I think it's great. Um, my favorite documentary is the one from the '80s with with. Peter Ustinov, he's kind of hosting it, and he walks you through like the the five theories, the five main theories, 
and he's got this panel of experts. And I think one of them is, is, is John Douglas from the FBI, you know, who's actually the flattest of the panelists. He's the, the, and he's the one you kind of go like, oh, my God, the FBI's here. Um, but they actually, I think there's two of them, and they actually come off as, as rather unintelligent compared to Ustinov, right? Who's kind of doing a variation on his Hercule Poirot, which is fantastic. Um, but but he's playing it straight. He's not playing it for comedy. Um, it's very, very good. A great introduction if, if for all things Ripper, if you... Uh, if you um, if you're looking for a point of entry and, um, you know, with the Ripper, uh, of course there is, uh, you know, there's a Canadian angle. There's, there's this belief in some circles that a guy named Thomas Neil cream. And uh, even that, that name makes me like cream, Thomas Neil cream, strange brew. Look what Neil done to you. <laughs> Thomas Neil Cream. A lot of so a lot of people think that Cream. You know, there's a you know a subculture that believe that Cream was the Ripper, and 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 Cream was certainly a psychopath. Um, had had studied, I, I think, uh, uh, chloroform and anesthetic at McGill University. So spent time in Montreal. So that certainly kind of piques my interest. Bopped around the States, uh, back and forth, England and back. Um, the main problem uh, with Cream is, is apparently during the Whitechapel murders, he, and this is not a, a podcast about Thomas Neil Cream. Uh, I, I, uh, I will not devote more than five minutes of <laughs> time to this. Some people spend like uh, over an hour on Thomas Neil Cream, which I just think is funny. Um, but, uh, so, uh, yeah, what's most problematic about this guy is born in Glasgow, Scotland in the 1850s, uh, died at age 42 was, th was that apparently he was in prison during, um, the, the Whitechapel murders and some people go, well, no, you don't understand. It was an imposter in prison. He had actually managed this miraculous escape where he had a body double in jail while he was actually committing the murders. Uh, and and the, and the main the, the main thing is is apparently on uh, he was eventually caught for killing a bunch of prostitutes and women, which itself is really bad and and makes him a compelling case to study as a psychopath. Um, but on the gallows, uh, reputedly, just before he, he was strangled to death, he, he uttered the words, I am Jack. And then, uh, he, right, he croaks. Um, uh, but by some accounts, uh, he, um, he lost control of all of his bodily functions. And what he was actually trying to say was, I am ejaculating. Uh. <laughs> And he dies, but people uh, misunderstood this and thought he was trying to express that uh, he was Jack the Ripper, and and thus starts the legend and lore of Thomas Neil Cream. Um,
what what uh, I I find compelling about a, a Cream is um, so he graduates from from McGill University in Montreal in 1876. So he's a he's a contemporary of Mary Gallagher. Um, I think two years ago was it two? Yeah, we we did a Halloween broadcast on. Um, the beheading of Mary Gallagher and then how her ghost haunts the Griffintown neighborhood in Montreal. She was a prostitute. She was uh, brutally murdered. I think, behead- yeah, she was beheaded by uh, Susan Kennedy in a lover's spa- spat um, involving uh, Michael Flanagan. And um, and so, so the Gallagher murdered in 1879 uh, happened. So... Two years between Cream's graduation and Gallagher's murder, I, Cream might have been back in London by the time of Gallagher's uh, murder. But uh, for a guy who frequented prostitutes, he may well have um, solicited the services of Mary Gallagher, which is is very very interesting. Um, and then the third thing that I'd, I'd bring up about Cream, so sandwiched between his graduation in 76 and Gallagher's murder in 79 is the date 1877. That's the date John Gilmore uh, took his own life in Montreal. And if you go, who the fuck is John Gilmore? Well, I did a trilogy a number of years ago called the Canadian Lumber Trilogy. And I talked a lot about these Scottish lumber barons called the Gilmores, um, who were associated with uh, my family's history, uh, the Allures. So, so the Gilmores um, had large uh, um, lumber facilities, uh, um, shipbuilding facilities, and, and lumber mills, and and. Uh, both in Quebec City and and in Montreal, uh, warehouses, storehouses, and and Crane f- uh, frequented both Quebec City and and Montreal, um, and of course my great grandfather, you know, sort of right alongside the Gilmores, uh, not as not as an a, as a anything kind of the aristocratic class or even even of the mercantile class. I mean, uh, if. If Cream was, you know, uh, running around Montreal in a horse and carriage, uh, my great-grandfather was shoveling the horseshit. Uh, I can tell you that. Um, but Gilmore, John Gilmore, um, w- one of the relatives uh, of the Gilmore uh, Empire, so he took his own. Uh, he took his own life, um, and it, and it's it, it's an interesting thing. Uh, he disappears uh, one winter, um, and detectives are searching searching for him. And uh, he's, um, you, you know, he's he's got bad credit. He's actually running from his creditors. Um, and uh, this is this is from the papers at the time, in uh, I think in the spring of eighteen seventy seven, several months after. Um, Fishermen had uh, discovered the body of Mr. Gilmore floating down the river. The supposition is that he jumped into the open place made by the ice cutters. So, uh, reputedly, John Gilmore, uh, in, in flight from uh, his uh, from bad debt, from bad debts, 
I wandered out onto the ice sheets in the harbor of Montreal in the St. Lawrence and jumped in one winter and took his own life, 1877. So you have all three of these characters frequenting um, Montreal at the same time. Mary Gallagher, famously uh, uh, murdered by Susan Kennedy, Thomas Gilmore, a suicide, and uh, Thomas Neal Cream, a homicidal maniac, who many, uh, many believe might have been Jack the Ripper. True crime on A&E with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking true crime every Thursday and Friday on A&E. Looking for a foundation that can multitask as well as you? Maybelline's Fit Me Matte and Poreless Foundation is it. What does it do? More like, what doesn't it do? It's oil-free and non-comedogenic, so it won't ever clog your pores. It controls shine for a full 12 hours. It refines your pores so your skin looks smooth and perfected. It's lightweight and breathable, so your skin will never feel heavy or cakey. And it comes in 40 shades. 97% of women found their perfect shade. It's obvious why Fit Me Mad and Poreless is America's number one foundation. Buy yours now in a bottle or pouch at Amazon.com. Switching gears is now I bring you a tale from the crypt of journalism and the publishing industry. This is called the $150 Gazette article. In case you didn't know, <laughs> journalism is, is in a shambles, uh, and um, uh, and it certainly is in 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 Canada. Um, if uh, if you're lucky enough to publish a book, well, to write a book, congratulations, and then get it published. There's a whole lot of work that needs to go into that. The gone are the days where you write a book and, you know, uh, your your paper's literary, literary section. Uh, there's no such thing anymore. But, you know, this Saturday, the weekend paper decides to do a review of it. That's gone. I mean, that's just gone. So a ground war, as I call it, is equally important. Uh you need to, um, uh, it, is a, it is a godsend to my publishers <laughs> that, that I have a podcast and a website as forms to communicate and that I'm active on social media. It, it, it really is um, because they are up against it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the success I uh, wish you were here as achieved. If I'm looking this morning, uh, and this Amazon is just a great barometer for things. Um, it's not, not by no means the only barometer, but as of this morning, we're sitting in the we're always in the top ten of true crime, which is great. Uh, this morning we're we're eighth on Amazon.com and true crime. But if you take away 
the audiobooks and Kindle editions were actually third, I think. There's, um, there's a Canadian book about a maritime fishing murder. There's All Be Gone in the Dark, and then there's Wish You Were Here. And behind us are um, old staples like The Devil in the White City and Mindhunter. So that's a pretty good place to be a month out of publication. As I say, that's great, but that, that comes against insurmountable odds. I know in the last month I've been on, uh, you know, interviewed and, and book events and uh, stuff, but a lot of authors uh, with a finer pedigree than mine can't, can't get arrested right now because um, the infrastructure, the scaffolding to support uh, a launch just doesn't exist anymore. So I bring you this dark tale of if you if you ever think in your mind you might want to become a journalist or a writer, I, I would offer this note of, of caution to you. Um, uh, in the early summer in June, I I actually approached the Montreal Gazette with an idea and and in my mind it was it was a calling card idea i was going to i was going to do this story which would sort of set the table for the launch of the book and and actually what i pitched to them was what eventually became the podcast on the murders of uh, Maurice Marcille and Chantal Dupont the Montreal Jacques Cartier bridge murders um, from 1979 uh, and they didn't like that story at all. Um, <laughs> and I liked it because it had an interesting uh, war between then uh, Justice Minister Marc-Andre Bedard and André Perron, the editor of Allo Police, both figures who play a role in Wish You Were Here. That was really what I was interested in, less so the murders. But they had no interest in it for, for a trivial reason, really, um, the murders were 79 and, um, it was 2020. So this wasn't an anniversary year. It fell on, a, on an off year. So, uh, it had no place in the paper because it couldn't be justified, if you can believe that. Um, but ever resourceful, I, I, I said, okay, why don't we do a story closer to launch? And they liked that. And they were like, yeah, get back to us in August, late August. Uh, she said late August, September, with um, something, you know, either from the book or about the book. And I said, well, can we do two things? I said, can we do like a curtain raiser that I'll write? And then can we do an excerpt from the book the following week? And they said, yeah, we, we could consider that, right? Um, and I said, so they said, do you want this as an op-ed? And I said, well, what does an op-ed pay? Well, it doesn't pay anything. Well, I said, well, then I don't want that. Well, if, if you're submitting it as an independent story, as a subcontractor, I'm, I'm telling you, Mr. Allure, the odds are against you. I said, well, I'll take the odds. It's fine by me. I said, okay, but um, <clears throat> we'll do this. If, if we don't like the submission, maybe we can then kick it down to an op-ed. I'm fine. So what does a story uh, pay these days, I ask? 
Uh, and it says for fifteen hundred words, one hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> I was like, what? What? One hundred and fifty dollars? Well, sir, that's the going rate. And I checked this out. That is the going rate. That that's what the New York Times pays for an independent submission. One hundred and fifty dollars for fifteen hundred words. And I'm like, well, geez, that's, God, I make more off podcast advertising than do off that. But I, you know, I wanted to go through the exercise. Uh, I thought it would be an interesting, you know, process to go through. So I said, fine. <clears throat> so fall comes and um, I wrote a piece. And what it really was, was uh, someone described it as a trip down memory lane, but it, it served its function. Um, what gets lost in the, the story of the murder of my sister, Teresa, um, is her life in Montreal. Um, she died in the Eastern townships, but she had only really spent six weeks there. Her entire life was Montreal based. And so I talked about, um, the year prior to her death, just kind of cataloging, cataloging, going through the months of that year, what she was doing. You know, the, the, where she was working and where she was living and the places she haunted and the friends she hung out with and this kind of stuff. Um, and it was quite, quite successful. Sub submitted uh, submitted that. And, and, and of course, um, the, um, uh, the, the, the Gazette, the Montreal Gazette is owned by Post Media. And the majority of the newspapers in Canada, are, there's, there's, there's two owners. Post Media owns the National Post uh, and, and the Gazette, among others. Uh, another group owns like the Province, uh, the, the Sun newspapers in all these uh, places. Um, so it's Post Media. And what I really needed to do, I, I needed to keep this quiet. Uh, I didn't tell our publicist because at the same time she was working on a story in the National Post, sort of the, uh, you know, the, the queen bee from which all others fall under of papers. Because um, if the National Post found out that there was a, a conflicting story in the Montreal Gazette, they might kill the National Post article and say, well, we only want, we only want one. But I mean, it turned out to be really beneficial because they were, they were dangling this carrot at the National Post saying well the same thing we'll do two stories we'll do we'll we'll do like a curtain raiser and they did they did um an article that um uh, let's just say was less useful than i wanted it to be uh kind of a preview uh, and then they didn't do an excerpt they at the last minute they they turned their their nose down at the the excerpt so good that i had already parlayed an excerpt with with the Gazette because they did the opening chapter. Um, now, of course, for the second article, I didn't get paid for this. Well, I did in a sense. Uh, um, uh, Penguin Random House sold the subrights to the Gazette, and then, of course, you know, I probably got. I, I will eventually, in ten years, probably see three cents from that deal with the subrights or something. Um, and uh, you know, it's so it's. It, 
you're not making any money in this industry anymore. And uh, I understand now why people pursue like things like podcasting and, and their, their blogs full time, because there's more, more market potential there than there would ever be in the current state of, of um, uh, uh, journalism um, writing, call it what you, what you may. It's a really scary, hard slog uh, to, to get anything, to get anything uh, done, to get anything marketed. Um, and I, I, even, I even joked in June when she said, 150 bucks. I didn't balk at it, but I, what I said to her was, "Well, I, I want the money anyway, um, and I, and I'll give it to some cause like the murdered and missing women," um, and the, and and that's exactly what I did. And and the paperwork I had to fill out as an independent writer was was ridiculous. Um, there was more paperwork there than the paperwork I had to do to, to, to get a simple wire transfer of, of my, my advance for the book, um, for 150 bucks. There was, you know, there was a profile and there was a, this, it was probably about, about 10 pages of documentation for 150 bucks. Right. And, um, and that's exactly what I did. I, uh, I had it actually sent mailed to my brother. And I had my my brother uh, donate it. Um, who did we give it to? Uh, to the Native Women's uh, Shelter of Montreal, one hundred and fifty bucks. So you know, and that was that was it. That was my experience as an independent writer for the the Montreal Gazette. Um, but it you know it doesn't it doesn't end there. I mean, at the same time, Patricia Pearson, my co writer, was was off surreptitiously negotiating a story with the Calgary Herald, which is also owned by Post Media, right? And again, couldn't tell our publicist because that might kill stories. You know, so now we're talking about, what are we talking about? Four stories that would not have happened had we all had done them all centrally. Uh, and and when she went to the Calgary Herald, they said, well, why would we do another story? There's just been one in the National Post. And of course, these things are syndicated, right? So once the Gazette publishes this, it it starts to populate in other newspapers, which is really, really advantageous. But it's also really, really problematic because there's no independent journalism. It's all just this one voice, you know, emulating from the Queen Bee. <clears throat> Um, uh, but she managed to parlay this, this thing with Calgary and say, no, you don't understand. There's a Calgary angle to the book that no one's talked about, uh, having to do with the, uh, uh, the murder of the, the down, downtown, uh, uh, stroll prostitute murders, 1991 to 1993. There's this angle that no one's touched yet, which they, they liked very much and published a great piece. Uh, a, a great piece so the, the you know the fourth piece but again we didn't we didn't get anything for that and uh it's a scary situation uh the national post you know there's two papers two national papers now in Canada there's the globe and mail and the national post the globe and mail has never ever 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 given this story the the, the time of day they're they're too highbrow in their mind 
in their mind, they're too highbrow. Um, and uh, I, I've just I've just stopped um, entertaining them. And the National Post is very very problematic. The National Post now is owned by hedge fund managers from the United States, right? Conservative hedge fund managers, and that's why when you read the Post, particularly, it's like why why are we why are we talking about Trump again and in such a flattering light? You know, this is Canada's newspaper. I mean, you've ever pondered that? I mean, that's why. I mean, uh, it's a point of view. Uh, you know, it's 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 certainly an opinion, um, but it's it's a very pointed uh, opinion uh, in one direction, and an odd place for it to be coming from, quite frankly. Um, so very, very problematic, uh, um, the centralization uh, and the lack of independent uh, journalism, um, not only in Canada, but, um, well, well, everywhere, frankly. great silent films and uh, I think people would cite uh, certainly stuff by D.W. Griffin um, uh, um, the Gish sister uh, Orphans of the Storm you know all those silent comedies Chaplin and Buster Keaton uh, I Love Greed uh, von Stromheim's Greed um, particularly because of all the outdoor fo footage in California I believe San Francisco uh, but my favorite silent movie is definitely The Lodger by Alfred Hitchcock, 1927, which is a Ripper-esque uh, film. You can, you can see it on YouTube. There's a couple of bad versions with bad soundtracks, like piano playing, but there's some good ones as well. And, uh, I mean, it goes without saying, as far as atmosphere goes, you know, it's, it's this Ripper-esque a serial killer named called the Avenger who uh, like only kills blonde women on Tuesday evenings in and around London kind of escapes in and out of the the, the fog visually it's just uh, captivating uh, it, it's one of my favorite films most uh, most definitely and then you know, you know like the the, the the lineage of Ripper is endless uh, Obviously, Robert Louis Stevenson's um, Jekyll and Hyde, um, heavily influenced uh, by Ripperology. Um, my favorite incantation of that is the uh, is the <laughs> the Looney Tunes version with Big Tweety. <laughs> uh, the Tweety drinks the potion. 
Hyde's potion. <laughs> Sylvester's trying to eat him, and it turns into that great big bird. He's... <laughs> Sylvester eats him, and it sort of expands in his mouth. Ah, uh, that for me, that's that's uh, that's Jekyll and Hyde. It's finest. Uh, it's finest hour. Um, I uh, I I came. Of course, the other the other rippers, the the Yorkshire, Yorkshire, Yorkshire Ripper. Uh, and there's a you you know for all UK listeners. Uh, again, I am. Uh, I'm a passenger on this version. I, I came to um, know about the Yorkshire Ripper very, very late. I, I sort of knew that the name, you, know, you just hear the Yorkshire Ripper. That sounds exciting. Uh, what's that about? Um, but it's only fairly recently that I sort of read about um, Peter Sutcliffe um, and um, What's really interesting for me about that is, uh, so he's active 75, 1980. So he's active in the period, the same period in, in England, uh, that all of these really interesting murders are also going on in, in the Montreal Eastern Townships area, right? And a very similar modus operandi between who killed these, these women in Quebec and Peter Sutcliffe, uh, it's very, very interesting. Um, I haven't quite wrapped my head around, you know, what that, I mean, obviously it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything cause and effect. It just, uh, but it may mean something, you know, sociologically, um, criminology perspective, uh, that I haven't quite mined or, um, but I find it interesting, uh, if there's listeners out there who are aficionados of uh, the Yorkshire Ripper cases, I know of a few. I know a few of you. Uh, I'd certainly be interested in discussing further. Maybe we could do a tag team kind of, uh, what do you call that? Cross, I hate promotion, but I don't know. We could do something. We could do something around those those lines. Uh very interesting, very frightening. I mean, it's, um, you know, it is not unique to be uh, running around the countryside like in a van uh, brandishing a, a tool, you know, as a weapon, um, a screwdriver, a knife, um, you, you know, uh, some, some, some kind of trade weapon, but nevertheless, that's what did that, from my understanding is what Peter Sutcliffe is doing. It's, uh, in many cases in Quebec, what, um, the offender or offenders were doing. Um, it's what Luke Gregoire was doing. I'll say is, I'll say the name. That's the main focus of, um, wish, wish you were here. Um, an offender named Luke Gregoire, uh, who, who died in 2015 in prison, but um, in, in, I'll let the cat out of the bag, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's my belief, it's our belief that Gregoire is responsible for five of the Quebec murders. N and not only uh, 
Teresa Allure, Louise Cameron, Manon Zubé, but add to that um, uh, uh, Helen Monast and Denise Bazinet. So those five, at least. Let's just, and, and the book stops there, but um, I'm not done. And then, of course, in, uh, in Calgary, uh, he was charged and sentenced uh, to life in prison for the murder of Lanny Silva. And then we suspect them of uh, Rebecca Boutillier and Tracy Mounder, and possibly others. all week um, virtually um, on the air and book launches and stuff um, this um, <laughs> it's unusual uh, and not without its scary unsettling moments uh, we did a reading uh, with Massey College in Toronto a couple of weeks back uh, where our host began things by telling everybody as, as sort of a, seemed like a hushed revelation that she too was a young girl growing up in Montreal. Uh, and it all went downhill from there. Not much of a revelation, really. I think 51% of the population growing up in that era uh, were also young girls growing up in Montreal. Uh, and then... Um, so this week, um, you know, we got um, we got a booking with uh, with our publicist, uh, and she just said one hundred six point seven FM in Calgary uh, wants to interview you. Um, call them at eleven oh eight. It's very precise. Eleven oh eight on Thursday morning. So okay, and uh, by now we've done a number of these. So. Uh, Usually you do like a a pre, um, you know, a pre-call just to work out the bugs. But we didn't have one for this for this time. We were just going in cold, and and so we talked about it in advance. In advance, and I said, um, I said, you know anything about this? And Patricia said, No, I don't. I said, You know, we might be going in, and they it, it might begin with now. What what did you guys do? Again, you know, I said it might be one of those. You wrote what? Um, so we might be starting from scratch. Let's just uh, let's be on our toes, be prepared. Um, so eleven oh eight, and I I call the number and uh, I get hello, and uh, it's like music playing in the background. And I was like, I thought I had the wrong number, right? I was like, this is I saw. It felt like I'd phoned a laundromat or something, right? Um, and, and so I explained who I was and, uh, the woman said, well, hang on, um, we'll be right with you. Um, just, just stand by. And, uh, so I'm listening, um, and what uh, immediately strikes me, um, you know, they usually play the audio, uh, 
before you come in. You know, in some cases, you know, they're re they're reading the news or they're, they're reading the weather and you're on standby. Well, in this case, it's in a foreign language, so I can't, I, I don't know what the hell's going on. And I'm, um, slowly I was like, wait a minute, is this, is this Hindi? Is this Punjabi? What is going on here? And, and then, and then I start to hear things, right? Like, uh, blah, 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 John Alor, blah, 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 wish you were here, blah, 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 website, blah, 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 podcast. And, and I, so I, immediately I begin to panic. Right. I'm like, wait a minute. This guy doesn't think that I speak Punjabi. Uh, that's that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, I can manage a French interview, but <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is this is all wrong. I'm panicking. Right. Start to sweat. I'm like, maybe I'll just hang up. I well, That's rude. You can't just hang up. So I was like, you know what? Just go along for the ride. I'm sure the guy, you know, I'm sure the guy knows what he's what he's doing um and uh you know sh sure enough sure enough he did uh 106.7 fm i mean when i first heard it i thought you know it, it sounds like a sports handle right 106.7 the fan uh, coming at you from calgary <laughs> all your flames news <clears throat> uh calgary stampeders stampeders action right here um, but uh, it was cool. Uh, it was it was a little bizarre because he'd he'd speak to the listeners uh, in in I think it was Punjabi, and then he talked to me in English, and so he'd kind of translate it. Uh, John sir, so you wrote the book, <laughs> this kind of stuff. But he was very very informed. Uh, um, had the guy had done his research and he you know he gave us uh i think he did 10 minutes with me and then he did 10 minutes with patricia which is more than than most radio stations gave us i'll tell you that um but <laughs> you're kind of white knuckling it there for a bit right um it turns out 106.7 FM is is the is it is the multicultural multilingual multilingual one of many stations. It's not only it's the largest South Asian, South South Asian um, radio station in Calgary, and and I should have known because the mayor of uh, Calgary is 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 South Asian. Um, well, at least you know his family is. I don't know if Marion she was was born in Canada or not, but he's certainly a Canadian citizen now. He's a mayor of, or, or mayor of Calgary, uh, and a great mayor, by the way, actually. He's, he's actually he's actually one of those bon vivant larger than life mayors right in the style of a Koch or a, or a Bloomberg kind of Bloomberg's kind of like that um, uh, very charismatic you know and then she's always gonna have the right thing to say uh, at the right moment in, in, anyway uh, so the largest South South Asian radio station in 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 that city but also shares with, um, you know, programming with Arabic, um, like Croatian, Persian, Vietnamese uh, uh, listeners, listeners as well. And uh, as I say, uh, hey, hey, he asked where the reading was, and and so we told him, uh, if we sold a book, what do I care? <laughs> right. Um, uh, I just would have been 
it would have been nice to been given a heads up is is all I say uh, would have been nice to know we were uh, <laughs> we were going on Punjabi radio instead of going in and flying blind is uh, is my uh, was my ask um, in this situation uh, it didn't happen but you know what we got through it we uh, sheltered the storm managed to make things work. That's entertainment. In 2012, the city of London, Ontario, made the disastrous decision to change the name of their minor league baseball team from the London Werewolves to the London Rippers. And the reaction was <laughs> uh, swift and, um, and what you would imagine it would be um, Megan Walker, the director of the local um, abused woman shelter, remarked, people are outraged. I think it's appalling. It's insulting and stupid, and they better rethink their entire marketing strategy. Um, The mayor tried to persuade them to change their mind as well, uh, and the ownership tried to backpedal, making excuses saying, uh, even, even though, uh, added to that, the mascot's name was Jack. Um, but the owner said, well, it, it owes more to Phantom of the Opera than to the tale of Jack the Ripper. Uh, apparently Jack had this backstory where, where Jack was a failed hockey player who um, became a minor league baseball player um, and became renowned for his ability to rip the cover off baseballs, hitting them, you know, into the stands. Uh, no soap. <laughs> didn't work. Uh, didn't work, Jack. If you if you look at the the mascot, uh, you know, there's like a top top hat and a cloak, menacing look, bat in his hand to strike a bat or a woman. Who knows. Uh, yeah, that didn't work. And, uh, shortly afterwards, the, you know, the team folded, um, Rush Limbaugh liked it and weighed in. He thought the logo and the name was funny. Um, and in tip- typical Limbaugh fashion, he said, Hey, um, he said, uh, how do we know it's Jack the Ripper? We don't know what Jack the Ripper looked like. He was never ID'd, right? Hey, hey, I'm doing a radio show. Yeah, the blowback was was immediate. Um, you know, it didn't help. Uh, many of you know, I mean, London, Ontario. London, Ontario at one time was known as the murder capital of Canada in the 60s and 70s. Uh, uh, thus, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it was the inspiration for Michael Arnfield to write the book Murder City which was about the, the 
all the, the, the endless catalog of unsolved murders and, and uh, rapes and se sexual abuses of women in the 60s and 70s. So the London Rippers, not your best, not your best choice. Uh, yeah, a menacing, a menacing looking man wearing a Victorian top hat carrying a baseball bat. <laughs> it's not, not, uh, not, not your best, 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 uh, best choice. But for the team, they say, no, 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 you don't understand. That's, that's not Jack the Ripper. It's Diamond Jack. He's a frustrated hockey player. He got it wrong. Uh, he can rip the cover off the baseballs. That's, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. The problem's with you, people. You're just, ah. Don't you see? It's funny. It's, it's funny. <laughs> uh, uh, from the, from the London werewolves to the, <laughs> to the London werewolves. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. Is it any, uh, apparently, uh, they, 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 they folded them. Um, uh, creditors came to, <laughs> to to collect a, a bill and found their merchandising store. You know their, their fan store locked. I can't imagine what you what you wouldn't want to walk around town with that on your cap. <laughs> uh, it's probably a collector's item. I bet. I bet it's it's going for uh, either millions or peanuts on ebay right now check it out the london rippers london london ontario not london england london ontario which is about uh, a little over 100 kilometers um southwest of elmira which brings us all the way back uh to where let's begin at the beginning again True Crime on A&E, with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking True Crime, every Thursday and Friday on A&E. The schoolhouse in Mennonite country, Elmira. Um, uh, how did that end? Um... Uh, uneventful. Um, yeah, I, I, speaking of this story, I was I, I was sharing it with a work colleague, a, a friend named Andrew, who's from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Grew up there, and he was telling me this story about how he um, he once was in Virginia, and he stayed at a a B and B, which was like an old colonial house or something that, and and saying that he woke up in the night. Uh, screaming uh, because he was, um, he believed the place was haunted because of this event in the middle of the night where he woke up and he was being held down and he couldn't get up. And uh, his, uh, his girlfriend was with him, you know, in the bed and, and witnessed this. He was like, help me, help me. And, and couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't move, was like paralyzed by this force. And, uh, He's, he's convinced that place was haunted. I don't have anything that good. Um, the story just ends. 
right? Uh, I survived the night. I woke up. Uh, I imagine Ned drove me to the train station. I went back to my life in Toronto. Uh, there was no, um, uh, you know, and it turns out there was a dead body on the property and, or, you know, all the children from that house were massacred, died in a massacre or something like that. You know, like the Black Donnellys or something. There's nothing like that, right? There's no, there's no punchline. There's no coda. Uh, it just ends. Big frickin' disappointments. <laughs> uh, for you. <clears throat> for you. Uh, but I, all in my head is, you know, the humdrum. Peter Gabriel's humdrum. Just kind of going over and over in my head. Uh, I think I listened to that record over and over, which uh, is, uh, you know, in retrospect, it's not my favorite Peter Gabriel album. It's redeemed by the fact that it's got Tony Levin and Robert Fripp on it. You know, Gabriel bugs me sometimes. I'll just say it. Uh, hey, Valentina, you want me to beg? You got me cooking. I'm a hard boiled egg. You know, at times brilliant. Uh, at times every bit as bad as Phil Collins singing... Uh, Darth Vader, agitator, asking questions. He wants to know why. It, I know, it's not Darth Vader. It's, it's what is it? It's Dog Vader. And it's not even Phil's song. It's Tony Banks' song. He wrote that. Minky pretty, so Minky must die. <laughs> it's not, it's Mick. Mick he pretty. Uh, but uh, Dodo, the reason I never listened to side two of Abacab. Uh, side one is brilliant. Can't, can't listen to side two. Just cannot, just cannot do it. But I love side one. Gabriel, he's so, so dramatic. So dramatic. Uh, what's the scariest thing I ever saw or heard? You know, um, for a lot of people, uh, you know, they talk about an experience, something I saw too young, right? So, you know, my mom took me to the exorcist or something. Right? I shouldn't have seen that at, at that age. I shouldn't have read Flowers in the Attic, uh, you know, in elementary school or something like that. For me, it's, it's this. Figure eight is double four. Figure four is half of eight. Schoolhouse rock, multiplication rock, uh, sung by uh, the Blossom Deary in that strange ethereal voice. Um, figure eight, if you skate upon the ice, you'd be wise if you thought twice. I mean, it sounds like Empty Pants by Dr. Zeus, right? Before you made another single move. And then the end, right? As a kid, in the end, place an eight on its side and it's the symbol meaning infinity. I mean, it's like, makes you want to run for the hills. Ah! I mean, that was like, you just blew my mind. I mean, <clears throat> Force me to an asylum. No!
Figure eight. Multiplication rock. Come on, that's the scariest thing. Place it on its side and it's a symbol meaning infinity. That's scarier than Empty Pants by Dr. <laughs> Zeus. That's that's scarier than 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 Mad Monster Party, which isn't very scary, I know. It's scarier than the Paul Lynn Halloween special call, you know, with guest stars uh, Kiss. Epic recording artists Kiss. <laughs> and Margaret Hamilton. Way, way, way scarier than, than that. Grab bag today for you. It's been quite a morning, I gotta tell you. I, uh, uh, it started just before this. I, I spilled an entire glass of water on my keyboard. Gratefully uh, avoided the recording equipment. All over the seat of my chair. Hence that. On the rug. Uh, went into the other room to get a new chair. Stepped in, in, in cold cat puke. That was great. And then uh, between uh, takes here, uh, I, I like sometimes to put cayenne in my coffee. Um, uh, while we were talking here, I had a big, big gulp of coffee and uh, managed to, to uh, have it go all up in my nostrils and eyeballs and completely... <laughs> burn my face mask off this morning. That's scary. That's terrifying. Good Lord. Had to leave you? Relieve myself? You know, drink a ton of water, which I had spilled on the floor, then stepped in cat barf? Who wants that? Who wants that? No one, I say. No one, I say. If uh, if you like the podcast, um, why do I even bother? <laughs> I, I don't know. If you like the podcast, keep listening to the the podcast. There, how's how's that? And find us on social media. Okay, we're uh, we're. Were places like Twitter and Facebook. Who killed Teresa? How hard can it be? Just find it and follow it. There, okay. That's that. Those are my marching orders. <clears throat> Coming up, uh, some housekeeping. Um, the week of the what? The twenty sixth. The week of the twenty sixth. Uh, I'm speaking at uh, Podcast Movement on a panel. Um, if you go and to their website and check it out, I don't know how much it is, you know, to, to register. It's probably astronomical. Uh, probably not worth the price to hear me blab on. We can, you can hear me for free. But nevertheless, I'm at Podcast Movement on the 27th at the, some, some event, some panel discussion about some bullshit. I don't know. I'll make it up. Uh, and then on the 28th, we're doing another reading. That's free. That's a free event. You can find it with Shelf Life Books in Calgary. 
That'll be uh, nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time, seven o'clock Calgary time. I guess that's mountain time. Yeah, mountain time. <clears throat> Grizzly Adams time, right? Jeremiah Johnson time, mountain time. Uh, Dan Haggerty time. That's what that is. Um, so those two things. Patricia, Patricia Pearson, my co-author, will be on Sword and Scale. Ooh, podcast, Sword and Scale. I don't know. I, I Apparently they fell into some, I don't know, subreddit controversy that I could give a rat's ass about. Uh, I'm glad she's going to be on it, mostly talking about um, her first uh, book, uh, When She Was Bad, about uh, women who kill. That's right, women kill. We heard it the last podcast, right? Christine, uh, Christine, what's her name? What's her name? The, the hit woman, Christine LePage. Uh, they do it, they do it. And, and, and so she will be on, uh, for those who listen to Sword and Scale, very popular podcast. Very popular, despite some controversy. Probably the controversy is why they're very popular. Good for them, I say. That's it. I'm checking out. <clears throat> no more stinking fun at all. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's um, that is today's potpourri grab bag episode. Halloween fair. Uh, this has been Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Allure. Have yourselves a great, great day. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Veterans. 
you may have earned a variety of VA benefits. Did you know VA can help you further your education and pursue professional training? The Home Loan Guarantee Program can help you buy, repair, or adapt a home. VA provides housing support if you find yourself homeless or at risk of homelessness. And don't forget world-class health care. Learn more about these and other VA benefits. Visit choose.va.gov.